Well, another week comes to a uh, conclusion, but not before Shannon and I <laughs> waste a significant portion of your day. Um, it's the Bob McCowan podcast on, um, also on Sirius XM. Uh, baseball today. Very exciting. I, I mean, there's nothing like, um, like September baseball that's meaningful. And it's been a long time, really. I mean, it was sort of there last year, but it's been a long time since we've really had this. And um, uh, I just look forward to, you know, game time. You know, and the wild card, Bob, I'll tell you what, when before the wild card and the whole concept of wild card baseball came in, September sometimes wasn't that good. But uh, the wild card rules and, and having wild card teams and the one game play in, that, uh, that has changed that whole, uh, that whole run, hasn't it? Well, I wish, I wish there were more playoff games, but that's not a topic we'll get into today because uh, we have more immediate issues. And uh, joining us to talk baseball today, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. We'll get to that after these messages. It's McCowan, it's Shannon, uh, and joining us, our, our buddy, our chum, our pal, Shai Davidi of uh, Sportsnet. There's not much going on right now other than um, watching the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I, you know, if you're an NFL fan, sure, on Sunday afternoon, you're, you're engrossed in that. The Ryder Cup is coming up, but that's next week, I guess, John? Mm-hmm. Is it? Yes. Yeah, it starts uh, Friday. Yeah. So the focus of attention is almost entirely on this Blue Jay team. And, and thank God, Shai Davidi, <laughs> that this team went on, has been on this run that has made this interesting because if they played 500 baseball and were four or five games out, we'd probably be ignoring the Toronto blue Jays too. Um, The run has been extraordinary, but I have to think those of us, the three of us who follow this team as closely as we do, I was waiting for this. I was expecting that this should happen. Not that it would happen, but that it should happen. Were you? Yeah, you know, I think all along there was going to be some progression to the mean, uh, maybe as one way to put it, but this was in there. And I think the only question was, were the team's issues in the bullpen and some of those other things going to prevent them from achieving what their potential clearly was? And that hasn't been the case. The bullpen has been good. You know, the starting rotation consistently going deep and not leaving that many innings on the table uh, has definitely been an important contribution on that front. And look, the offense has eased off some of the constant leverage that this team has faced uh, time and again this season. So, uh, you know, it was interesting. GM Ross Atkins at the beginning of the month was saying, you know, we haven't at any point in the season really put together all three facets uh, at once at the same time. But, you know, I think that's going to happen. And, you know, it's turned out to be the case because that's really what the past, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks have been, you know, as to all facets of the game really coming together uh, and this team just rolling in a way that it hasn't all season long. Well, the other thing that, and I confess I'm guilty of not paying enough attention to this myself, has been the fact that it's, it has been less than a month, I guess, since the Blue Jays returned to Rogers Center and to Toronto, and that they will have played the majority of their home games away from home. And it's hard to quantify the comfort level that a team would get from being in back in their home park, especially with a bunch of guys who really haven't played that many games at the Rogers Center. So they don't have that you know, comfort feeling that point of comparison, but obviously it's been a factor. Uh, how big a factor? Well, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I've had conversations just like private conversations with a number of players and, you know, there are a few elements at play. I mean, one for the first time they're at a major league ballpark that's playing like a major league ballpark, right? Like Dunedin had the joke, right? Field and the joke conditions with the sun at a certain time And, you know, that's not, that's not, that wasn't, that was, that was a hurdle to overcome, you know, and then Buffalo, you know, had, you know, the, there were lots of balls there that would take off in a way that wouldn't in other parks. And, you know, the Rogers center is playing like a major league stadium should. So I think one, there's that on field comfort. And plus you've got better amenities and better, uh, you know, you've got fans cheering for you. That's a very significant piece. You know, it's like you're playing the Rays in Dunedin. You know, people are cheering for the Rays. 
you're playing the Yankees or the Red Sox in, in Buffalo, they're cheering for the Yankees or the Red Sox. You know, yep. that's not much of a home advantage. But the other thing that's maybe, you know, gets lost a little bit is just the, the, the ease of knowing, okay, we're here and we don't have to worry, right? When you were in Dunedin or when they were in Dunedin, they were worried, okay, well, are we going to Buffalo? Are we going to Toronto? And then they go to Buffalo. And then they get to Buffalo. It's like, well, are we staying here? Are we going to Toronto? Yes, no, this is this sign's good. This sign's bad. And then, you know, what are you doing with your families and your personal life? And then you get to Toronto. It's like, okay, we're in Toronto. End of story. And that, that removing that from the equation, that element of uncertainty, I think is very significant, particularly for the, the older players, the players with families who are trying to get, uh, you know, get their, spend time with their kids to get them settled, think about school, all that stuff. You know, I think all those elements combine together and they make a difference. Now, how much can we quantify that? I don't know, but I think you put all those together. There's certainly a factor and I would suggest not an insignificant one. Do you, do you, Shai, do you, do you think that, I mean, when I think about it, I always think the baseball players, even in Toronto, stay at a hotel anyway. I mean, so I, from one hotel to the next hotel to a third hotel, uh, I, I wouldn't think there'd be much difference. But the fact that they can walk around a major league city, a big city, every once in a while might not be a bad thing either, right? Well, you know, there, there are a few who are in the hotel, but some of them uh, are have rented condos. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have rented houses. Uh, you know, th- there are those who have chosen to not make this just like being in a hotel. So I wanted to live in it for have a more comfortable life for themselves so you know i I would say that there is a difference yeah i mean obviously being in toronto is uh you know no disrespect to buffalo and dunedin but significantly better right it's it's way better but you know that piece is there but i I do think that they haven't behaved as if this is going to be just a transient stop for them which is what they sort of had to do in both Dunedin and Buffalo, right? Like they knew they weren't going to be in Dunedin for the whole season, but was it going to be one month? Was it going to be two months? Was it going to be three months? You know, that part was unsteady. And then the same thing went in Buffalo. So, you know, you're a little bit more um, wary of putting down, not, not maybe putting down roots is a bit strong, but, you know, doing something that's a little bit more substantial, but when you know you're going to be in Toronto for two months and you, you know, potentially three, if you make the playoffs, you know, then, you know, you're, you're going to set yourself up in a more comfortable way. So, you know, I think the, the majority of players did that. One of the questions that I have that I think is unanswerable is how does it impact guys like Semyon and Ray who until a month ago had not played a game as a Toronto blue Jay in Toronto had not, and still haven't really experienced what it's like um, in a pennant race in Toronto with 45, 50,000 people in the stands. They, they haven't experienced that. Now, I know the experience is much better, but now all of a sudden they get sort of a chance to assimilate the city, sort of a chance to assimilate what the crowd reaction can be like. And not to say that it's unique, it's just, it's big league. How does that affect their decision-making at the end of the season? And I suppose the answer is none of us know. And at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to dollars and cents, right? Right. I mean, I think the last part of what you said is, is the most accurate. But if you're going to break a tie, then, you know, that makes a difference. And, you know, yep. if it's close, if the dollars are close, you know, at a certain point, you know, if it's like you're talking, I don't know, $100 million and $104 million or something like that, you know, is the extra four at that point worth reducing your comfort if you really like a place? So, you know, I think that if it's close, that can make a difference. And then now you know what you're signing up for a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like you've seen the city, you've gotten a chance to experience the fans, as you mentioned. And look, you know, I mean, Robbie Ray getting ovations as he's walking off the field, like he's going to remember that. And then he can imagine it times three when the place is full. Uh, he's probably thinking, yeah, that's going to be all right. You know, Marcus Simmons hit a couple walk-offs here, you know, and and he, and the places went nuts with 15 in it. And, you know, you have to multiply that by three. And he's like, okay, you know, that's an experience. And then, you know, Simeon had his family down here for a period of time and uh, before school started. And they, you know, got to, you know, see the area and see what, what was on offer to them. All those things are, are pretty significant. But, 
you know, free agencies about money. Both those dudes, you know, took pillow deals uh, for different reasons, and they're going to be looking to cash in, and rightfully so, because each one of them has had a, a peak performance type of season. Well, you know, the other they, factor in this too is that this team is good and has is is good and is young and projects to be good for at least the next few years and maybe longer than that. And that's another thing. I think we we underestimate from time to time the importance of to an athlete of playing for a team that wins and can win something significant. And it's not just the achievement at the end of the road. It's the experience through 162 games. A lot more fun to be a bunch of, around a bunch of guys who are having a good time and are winning with some regularity than about around a bunch of guys who are mopey and, um, you know, don't have any aspiration after 162 games to play anymore. Mm-hmm. And which raises the question of the uniqueness of this team in terms of the fun that they seem to be having. And I've said this before, never, I don't think I've ever seen a, a team not just a Toronto team, any team that looks like it's, well, it looks like every day's a party yeah. for them. There's no, the there's no chance. There's no chance shy that this chemistry is bogus. I, I don't think this is bogus. I mean, this is, you've got a lot of guys who are really invested in it. Right. And you know, the, some of the things that I've heard about, you know, George Springer and, and Marcus Simeon and the way that they've blended in and, you know, made a point of, you know, giving it, give, pouring into their teammates, you know, that stuff, you're, you're not doing that stuff if, if you're not a hundred percent committed to it and you're faking it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a legitimate Agreed. bond between the young players. Like a lot of those guys grew up together. They came up through the farm system together. You know, there are bonds that go back years and years and years, you know, this is not, you can't fake, I think what you're seeing. Now, it's obviously a lot better when it's winning, but I think even when this team was suffering gut punch losses and, you know, really spinning its wheels and not being all it could, you still saw that level of consistency. And so, you know, that's what that's what suggests to me that it's authentic uh, because it's easy to be that way when times are good, but can you be that way when times aren't good? <laughs> and that's and that's what we've seen. And, and, you know, Bob, I just wanted to add one thing to, to the point you made at the beginning when, you know, you said that athletes want to come here to win. I think if you look at the time this franchise was most successful of free agents, right, in the early 90s when uh, just ahead of the world and during the World Series years, you know, they want like Jack Morris came here to win. Dave Winfield came here to win. That's right. Dave uh, Paul Molitor came here to win. Dave Stewart came here to win. Roger Clemens came here to win. Right. It, like the, the excuse that guys won't come to Canada is is not true if the situation is right and the money is there. And so, you know, this is you talked about the group. I mean, that's certainly a piece that they're going to sell the fun that they have. That's certainly a piece for them to sell the city. Now that they're back here, that's certainly a piece for them to sell. And they've got a good situation like this right. is a team that's positioned to win. So if the dollars are there, there are no excuses like some guys, no matter what, will not come here right? That's just, that's just the way it is. But that's like that for virtually every city. There's some guys that won't go to New York. There's some guys who won't go to LA. Uh, there's some guys who won't go to Milwaukee. But if you've got a good winning situation, you've got a good club, you've got all those pieces in place, there is no reason why the Blue Jays can't continue to sign players. You get any sense from either Ray, I don't know how much you've talked to them or, or Semyon about how they feel in Toronto, with the environment, with this group of guys, we see them all having fun in the dugout. But have, has anybody talked to them? Do you know about um, what that kind of means? Well, I mean, I, you know, I've asked them both questions along those lines, but you know, I do think that it, it's hard to sort of get past the 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 usual. Yeah, this is great, having a great time. Really like my teammates, kind of stuff, which is the standard fare, and sort of what's that going to mean longer term? Like, I think ultimately, look, you know, Marcus Simeon is positioned to get a $100 million plus contract. Robbie Ray is positioned to get a $100 million plus contract. Can the Blue Jays afford to do one or both and try to extend Bichette and Guerrero 
and still address other holes in the roster. That's that's the that's going to be the offseason question, right? That that to me is where this ultimately lands. Like if the Blue Jays, you know, I do think that there's, you know, I think there's a pathway for Simeon to San Francisco, uh, you know, and you know that that's home for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do I do think the Giants like him and would consider him. You know, there I know Brandon Crawford is still there, but you know. Crawford's not going to be there forever. There's a pathway back to shortstop for him. If he's willing to do a couple more years at second base, perhaps that's something that they could do. Uh, you know, Robbie Ray is going to be pretty coveted, but it's a fairly deep pitching class. So, you know, are there going to be enough seats with for uh, enough chairs with big dollar contracts on them for all the free agents who think they're going to get paid? I'm not sure. So there could potentially be opportunities for the Blue Jays there, but you know, ultimately, I, I think that's the overriding question that the Blue Jays are going to have to answer. It's, you know, how do these pieces fit with what we need to accomplish long term? Because, you know, the extensions for Bichette and Guerrero are only getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point, that's that's something that you're going to have to address because, you know, do you want one? Do you want both? And, you know, how do you handle that? Because that that that's going to be the you know, that that's the elephant in the room right now for this franchise. One, one more thing on Simeon. Do you think uh, in any discussion with him in a long-term deal with any team position becomes a key, whether it is second base or shortstop? You know, there's, I've heard different things on that. You know, I think the fact that he came here to play second base suggests to you that it's more about situation of what it, it ultimately does for him long-term you know, deep down, I still think he believes he sees himself as a shortstop. There's no reason that he shouldn't, you know, you can make the case that he might be the better shortstop on this roster right now. Although I think, you know, the progress that Bichette has made suggests that he's on the path there and that you don't want to interrupt that progress that he's made because uh, he's made giant strides defensively mm-hmm. this year. And it, it doesn't get talked about enough, but you know, what Bichette has done defensively you know, if you wanted to compare him to Fernando Tatis Jr., everybody's like in love with Fernando Tatis. He's the greatest, blah, blah, blah. He's playing the outfield right now because he's making an, an obscene amount of errors. And Bo Bichette stabilized after a little blip early in the season has played a very, very solid shortstop. So well, he, he had a hell of a series against Tampa, Shy. He, yeah, I mean, he really did. Yeah, and he's had a lot of good series like that. And, you know, the, the consistency there and the steadiness there has improved. Um, but... You know, I, I do think in an ideal world, Semyon finds himself playing shortstop, but he was flexible already. And, you know, he's been, he's turned himself into a plus second baseman uh, and who can give a team protection at shortstop in case something happens to a shortstop. I mean, that's a pretty incredible commodity, uh, remarkably valuable. And, you know, I think for him, it's going to be about the the bigger situation, ensuring that, you know, he's properly compensated because he hasn't well. been properly compensated this year. Yeah, but guys, at the end of the day, defensive performance and the position that he plays becomes fundamentally irrelevant to the numbers after the dollar sign that he's going to get. He's going to get a $100 million plus contract because he's almost got you know 40 home runs, because mm-hmm. his batting average is around 270 or whatever it is, because offensively he has produced at a level that, I guess optimistically you would have hoped for, but it would have been optimistic. He his his basic rep was he's a solid defensive shortstop who can hit and has got some power. But he's having a breakout season. I mean, that's why he's going to get paid. The defense is going to is always a factor, but it's he not he's if if he's got 18 home runs and is hitting 250, he's not making 100 million dollars. No, no, Bob, my, my point is, my point is, is on the other side is, is that you're going to get, if you're going to get into a bidding war uh, for, for Marcus Simeon um, and you got two teams, it's, let's say that's the, it's the Giants and, uh, and the Jays getting into a bidding war about Simeon and Simeon's going to ask his agent to ask the question, what position am I playing? And if it's $120 million for five years for both teams and one team says I'm playing second base and one team says I'm playing shortstop, that might be an. That might be a. a I think a it's on the a, list, John. But I, I honestly don't think that that's going to be that big a factor. I know it's something we talked about since the beginning of the year, but as Shai said, Semyon came to this organization understanding that they were going to ask him to play second base. 
there's no reason to believe that he had an, a, a big issue with it. He didn't have a big enough issue with it to look somewhere else. No, but listen, remember he was coming off a bad season in Oakland, right? Shy. And he, he, he was, he was actually after having a really good season in Oakland the year before he was coming off a bad season and he had to prove himself again, that he wasn't a one-year wonder. He really yeah, did. This, this was a bit of a prove it season. Look, I think under ideal circumstances, Simeon finds himself at shortstop, right? Like that, sure. that, you know, if you're a shortstop, you know, you tend to see yourself as a shortstop and that, there there's a certain cachet to that which you know if you're playing the position that matters to guys right because that's one of the premium positions and look that's part of his value like mm -hmm. if he's if he's a first baseman putting up those numbers he's not getting paid in he's not getting paid in the same way right because that's not a premium position like he's playing he's a premium defender at a premium position like that is inherently part of the value part of what's getting him paid of course. but i think what he's done is that he's get, he's shown teams that he can play either spot that you can trust him in either spot he's going to be elite at either spot and it's opened up more markets for him so if you're a big money club and you know like yeah i mean the dodgers already have trey turner in there and if they resign seager but just for the sake of argument let's say they resigned seager and they weren't they weren't trey turner wasn't a factor like you want to pay a second baseman like yeah you can pay Marcus Simeon to pay second base I mean he's essentially doubled his options and I think that's part of what's there but ultimately in ideal world I think he finds himself at shortstop not only but, that you know, shy you keep him away from the Giants but the Dodgers side <laughs> you keep him away from the Giants I, I mean the, the Dodgers the Dodgers are just going to get everybody um <laughs> you know uh, but you know I think they're they're a fascinating club that the, the Turner acquisition really uh to me is going to change that market a little bit this off season. Uh, but what uh, ultimately, you know, S Simeon's going to have a lot of options uh, because of the position switch in an ideal world. I think he, he would want to play shortstop. Uh, and I think it's very clear now that anybody coming to the blue Jays, like if you're a middle infielder, you're coming to the blue Jays not to play shortstop because you're not displacing Bo Bichette anymore. I think that's the calculus that exists here now. Uh, time to do some math. We'll do that after the break. And, um, dissect you know the, the coming off season and beyond because we've talked about um it's not just about it's about uh semian and rate right now over the next few months but coming very quickly behind them are others who are going to get paid and how many of these can you keep together uh with shy davidi of sportsnet we'll come back after these messages Count Shannon Davidi um, on the program today. So we've talked a fair bit about Semyon. I don't know if we've come to any unanimous conclusions. Yeah, he's going to be rich. Well, yeah. <laughs> whether he is, he going to get paid in Toronto or someplace else. Yeah. Do you think Robbie Ray has a greater chance of staying in Toronto? And I ask this because it was here and with this pitching coach that Robbie Ray really turned a corner. And clearly he had a certain level of respect by signing the agreement he did, not just for, I think it was 10 million bucks, but according to all sources, he signed right away. Like there was not a whole huge negotiation over it. What do you think of Rob, the chances of Robbie Ray staying versus the chances of Marcus Simeon staying? Yeah, it was, uh, it was 8 million. He was the first free agent to sign uh, this off season. So yeah, I mean, that was clearly... Uh, part of the comfort here with, with Ray, I'm, look, I, I don't know that that, I think that's a tiebreaker. I don't think that's a deal breaker one way or the other, you know, the, you know, he can take the information that he's gotten from Pete Walker, all that he's accomplished here and take that to another club. But is there, is there some merit? Is there some value uh, for a player finding a place of comfort, for sure. You know, I, during the All-Star break, I had a chat with Kevin Gosman. And Kevin Gosman was one of the free agents the Blue Jays pursued very heavily. Yeah. He ended up taking the qualifying offer from the Giants. Uh, and, you know, his, the Jays offered him a multi-year deal. I believe it was in the area of three for 40, something along those lines. And, you know, he took the one at 18. And he just said, look, you know, that, that was just too big a number to, to pass on for one season. And then he knows that if he has a good year repeats, then he's going to be able to, 
really surpass the, you know, the guarantee that he's given up, which is what's played out. But a key factor for him was like, you know, I'm also really comfortable with all the coaches here and all the, they know the adjustments that I've made. They know me, I don't have to adjust to them and that matters. But I think where Robbie Ray is going to be at, it's going to be all about the money. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a part of me that wonders, you know, again, like, I just don't see how you can do Ray, you can do Simeon and you can extend Bichette and Guerrero and, you know, potentially you have to think about Teoscar Hernandez, who's got two years left after this one uh, before he's eligible for free agency. I just think this roster is about to start making money. And you, the pieces that you put in and around them, how you spend it, like decisions that you're making now, you're, you're going to make now are going to cut yourself off, are going to cut you off from other things down the road. And so that's where the Blue Jays are at. And that's what I think is the primary question with Ray and Simeon. Um, it's how do you pay those guys and ensure that you can still pay the other guys you want to pay as well? Well, that's the puzzle they're trying to figure out. And I assume they, they work on it every day. It's the puzzle that we're all trying to figure out. And conjoined with that is the ownership in, in Rogers. And what are they willing to go to in terms of a, of, of a team salary point? Mm-hmm. We don't see this as a $250 million um, payroll, do we? we? We don't see that as possible? I think that, I think right now, I think the Blue Jays end up as sort of like a, you know, a five to 10 payroll in, in Major League Baseball as opposed to a top five. I think that that's my guess of how they see themselves at this point. Um, and again, so that's, you know, pushing up towards 200 mil. And, you know, the other factor in this is like, you know, let's see what the, the new collective bargaining agreement looks like as well, right? That's, that's not going to be insignificant. And uh, obviously this is the time where different things get flown up and, you know, different ideas have already surfaced where, you know, Major League Baseball suggesting a, a floor and a ceiling and, you know, sort of a creative sort of cap kind of thing. I, I, I don't think that's going to fly, but where, where that, where the different numbers end up, that's going to definitely impact the market for certain players. Um, but there is upside for them, but, you know, Tatis Jr., that, that deal, that certainly transformed the expectations for, you know, the Bichettes and the Guerreros of the world right now, because, sure. you know, that's the bar and they're going to expect to do as well, if not a little bit better than Tatis did in his extension. And so, you know, can you put that on the books? You still got Springer, you still got five years of Springer, still got two years of Ryu. Uh, and then again, that's just keeping what you have and not augmenting because you want to keep augmenting. You know, the, the Blue Jays are going to have to, you know, they've got two potential holes in the rotation with uh, the pending free agencies of Ray and Mats. Uh, you know, that bullpen, it's, it's gotten better, but you know, they, they still need to work on that there, you know, that they're, they're going to need some more pieces for that. Um, there's just, they've got some very, very, very tough decisions ahead of them. Uh, and ones that are going to, that, that are going to sort decide this is what you do. And this is all, it's also going to decide what you can't do down the road. Well, Springer's $25 million a year. Uh, there's no, I love George Springer, but here's the truth. His contribution, because of injuries, has been very limited this year. Except he's a look appears to be a great role model and a great guy on the bench and a friend to all of them. But is he a guy you could move in order to create? Oh, hold on, hold on, what? Flexi- hold on, flexibility. What? You're trading George Springer already? I'm looking. What I'm all I'm doing is I'm looking at this roster, and I think it's clear that this organization is going to prioritize the first baseman and the shortstop in terms of economics. Now, would it like to keep um, Ray? Would it like to keep Semyon? Of course it would. But where does George Springer fit in that ranking? Considering he's, he's eaten up $25 million a year and has barely played in center field. Yeah. I would say that there is close to zero chance that's on the table unless somebody 
just basically forced their hand with an offer that they couldn't possibly reject, right? Like you can't, you can't make this guy the crown jewel of an off season and then trade him a year later. You know, I mean, unless, unless you're the Miami Marlins and then, you know, that's your modus operandi, you know, I mean, it, it would just, it would just obliterate any credibility they had in the market. Um, it would obliterate any credibility they had with their players and, you know, I understand that if you're just kind of like looking at objectively and this is all chess pieces on the board, you know, maybe that's a different discussion. But you know, the other thing is essentially shy, essentially, that is exactly what it is. As baseball fans, we do not want to acknowledge that, but we are talking about reality here. And the reality is they are chess pieces on a board. In general, I don't, I don't disagree with you. But I think in this scenario, they are more than chess pieces on the board because there are there is the credibility in the market and in your clubhouse that you have to factor in, right? That's you can't dispel that. The other thing too is that you know George Springer, even with what he's even with the limited playing time, has made an incredible contribution to to this team, and that you know if he you assume that you you get him healthy for 162, like he's he's just as dynamic as Bichette and Guerrero and Teoscar Hernandez and Simeon, and he can make just as big an impact, if not bigger. So, you know, I, I think it's sort of, you don't want to give that up. You can't necessarily get that for $25 million, right? But you're going like, to have to make some tough decisions here. When, right. And you but, two but guys that, don't want to make those Simeon decisions. And, but, hey, that's hey, where, but that's where Semyon and Ray come into play. And maybe yeah. it's Teoscar Hernandez who you end up moving for some pieces and reallocating. Right. Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell you that, what, that's though, where guys, the transformation to becomes. I, I think I, I, I think there's a much simpler answer to this. Um, and, and that is that Mark, Mark Shapiro gets in that nice car of his and drives up Jarvis Street and says, listen, we are not a big percentage of Rogers revenue as a the baseball team is less than one percent, less than one percent of what Rogers corporate is. You know what? For the goodwill, for the marketing. And they're, by the way, they're still making money. They're still making money for what they can do with an extra $50 million a year, which is a pittance corporately to a, you know, a, a, a really, really well-run organiz- uh, company. This is a no-brainer to go, well, to go to the corporate side and say, listen, give us the $50 million. We can do this and we can win for five years. And then, and then, and the goodwill that would be created at a time when there needs to be a lot of goodwill between corporations and their fans. This to me is just, this is utter nonsense to think that they're going to actually work with a payroll and not be able to say to the company saying, listen, this is our time. Let's get going. You know, in a, in a, in a microcosm, that's exactly. And, and Bob, you, you would know this better than we would. That was the microcosm that, that, uh, you know, that Pat and, 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 uh, Paul went to Labatt with and said, we want to be the highest payroll in 1992 and 93 different numbers. But that's exactly what Mark has to do at this point is go get the money from the company and say, listen, we can be a, a juggernaut for five years if you give us this cash. So, John, but- I, I don't disagree with you. And my, I, the, what I would say to you is that I do think the, I think those conversations happened three, four years ago. And there's a plan in place for that. And that the number is going to get into that top five, top 10 range where you to the 180, 190, you know, that sort of neighborhood. The difference, I think, is if you're paying, if you got 25 in on Springer and then you're putting 30 into Bichette and Vlad and then another 20 each and then another 25 each onto, say, Simeon and Ray. Well, then how are you paying the rest of the roster? Right. And, and are you a better team that way than if you're maybe signing three of those guys and then spreading, spreading the wealth over more players? I, I don't think this is as much a financial problem as it is sort of a budgetary and how do you allocate the money? Do you want to be a completely top heavy roster for an extended period of time or do you want to have a little bit more diversity of, uh, of assets within your mix? And I think that's where. That that's where the 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 conversation, the push and pull within the Blue Jays ranks probably lies. You know, how it's not can we get more money? Because I do think that's been, you know, you know, pre pre prepared mm-hmm. and, and part of a part of a wider strategy. Uh, it, it's more 
how are you spending that money most effectively? And how, do you, how are you getting the best return on those dollars? Well, ultimately, you know, I mentioned 250 million earlier. Um, I think that's, in, if they want to keep this team, the nucleus of this team, and we can have an argument as to who belongs in the nucleus and who doesn't. But if you want to keep the nucleus of this team together, you're looking at $250 million. If you want to keep this entire roster together, you're probably looking at $300 million. Um, those are just, I, I think those are factual numbers. Now, obviously, you're not going to do that. What we haven't addressed is the young players that are coming and that will not force decisions to be made, but allow decisions to be made. Um, is there another right fielder in the organization that shows enough potential that you could let, you know, Hernandez go? Or could, is there a left fielder you could let Guriel go? <clears throat> I mean, those kinds of moves can be made. Um, but you have a starting rotation right now Shy is, is, is it as good as any five-man rotation in baseball today? It's pretty close to, isn't it? I mean, it, it's certainly up there. Uh, and look, you know, the one guy that we didn't mention, you know, Barrios is a year away from free right, There you go. And he got to get paid, right? And I think of all the guys, you know, if I had to choose between Ray or Barrios, you know, as good of a season as Ray is having, you know, if I could only pay one of those guys. I'd really? You take Barrios? Those- I'd probably take Barrios because he's younger. Um, he's been more steady throughout his career. You know, the, the, the sort of the baselines for him are a little bit higher than they are for Ray because, you know, I, I, one thing I've been curious about, and I've asked some people about this and I haven't really gotten a good answer. Just sort of like, if you're, if you're a buying club, you know, how, how much are you pricing in the 2019-20 Ray into his free agent deal? Because as much as like, you know, this Cy Young guy is in there, you know, the, the 2019, 20, 2020 guy happened too. Mm-hmm. And so if that's in your sort of realm of possibilities, how are you pricing that into his deal? Which is why and, you got him for $8 million, by the way. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. And, and, and why you got him, why you traded him for Travis Bergen at the trade deadline last year. Uh, and then, and then got Travis Bergen back for free, essentially. So you, essentially you got him for nothing. So you know, that, that's, that's part of the, the decision-making, you know, you know, Barrios, like, and, you know, you gave up a, a significant portion of prospect capital to get Barrios, right? Mm-hmm. Simeon was Richardson and Austin Martin. And I know there's some debate over what Austin Martin ends up being, but he's a piece uh, and he's got a chance to be a, a significant one. And you probably want to do it for more than a year and a half of Barrios. And part of what you do in getting part of what you're paying for when you get Barrios is you're paying for a year and a half to convince them that this is exactly where you need to be. You're set up for success here. Your family's going to like it here. You're going to like it here. You've got everything you need and you don't need to go elsewhere. So, you know, can you do both Ray and Barrios and then Simeon and then all the others, you know, that's, that's, again, that's how you figure it out. And, you know, starting pitching is the one thing that, it's really hard to get free agent starters to sign in the American League East. And that's not just something that the Blue Jays face. That's something every team in the American League East faces. You know, it's a, it's a brutal division. It's a meat grinder. It's a lot of ballparks that are hard to pitch in. Like pitchers aren't like stomping their feet saying, hey, I want to go there. Everyone wants to go to the NL West where the big mm-hmm. ballparks are big. You play in this California sun, you know, three-fifths of your, home, of your, of your interdivision schedule. It's a pretty good deal. But so, using but using that criteria, I mean, what you're basically saying is you're keeping Ray, and you're letting Semyon go, because pitching, especially starting pitching, is so difficult to acquire, so difficult to develop, and the Blue Jays, literally overnight in in baseball terms, have taken a sad sack starting rotation that what that didn't have one guy in it that was good enough to be in it, and now have one of the best in baseball. You can't blow that up, can you? I mean, again, it becomes what what are your options? What are your options available to you? It's also, you know, what do you what do you how do you project Ray over the next five years? Right. Right. And, and I think you can make a case that Simeon is more important to this team with the way that he plays every day, with his leadership. All right, but his... you can't stand on both sides of the fence at the same time. 
What sure you can. You got you to get just get more I, money. That's all. I, I don't disagree with <laughs> no, you. I, I, I also I also think that, you know, there are some there are some there are some things that Simeon brings and that in general, I think you're safer investing in an everyday position player than you of course are. You are. Yes. And that if you and again, and if you're going to pay one pitcher, I'd be paying on the staff. I'd be paying Barrios before I'd be paying Ray. Uh, and if I was keeping one of those position players, you know, like emphasizing one of the potential, one of the ones who were on the horizon, not Bichette Guerrero, you know, Semyon would be the guy I'd make yeah. a priority. On, 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 the, on the Ray topic, and you said projecting for five years, how much of a concern is that it's really just a two-pitch guy? I mean, there's that and what happens to him if his velocity dips a little bit over the course of that contract. And, you know, can he can he develop that curveball into a more consistent pitch or the changeup into a more consistent pitch if he has to? I think those are totally fair questions. He's also, you know, a max effort every pitch guy, you know, who essentially pitches as like a reliever coming out, you know, two pitches here I am or here it is. Show me if you can hit it. and Let's go. Uh, you know, can you? can you sustain that over four or five years? And I think that's where, that's where it's at. You know, for me, my guess, and I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but my guess is that the blue Jays would be, if they get, if they bring back Ray, it would be on a shorter term, higher average annual value kind of deal, as opposed to the five-year contract. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, you know, whatever the number is, it, yeah, I'd like to get him for three years, two. I, I, I'd like to get him for two, but you're not going to. You're going to have to yeah. give him at least three. And, and I, yes, I give him higher value, a hundred percent. But this is a hard throwing left hander who strikes people out, who has had no significant injury concerns in spite of the way he pitches. And you're a hundred percent right. He's a hundred percent effort guy every time he throws. And yes, he has limitations, but he gets people out and he's getting them out game after game after game. Any doubts about uh, Ray's ability, medium term at least, should be put to bed. Mm -hmm. The guy's proven himself. He, mm -hmm. you know, whether, you know, whether it was Walker or, or whatever that shone the light in his brain, he can now see what he has to do. He has made a significant enough change to become, who knows, maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Who knows? I don't disagree with any of that, Bob. I think the question is not, what is he right now? When, when you're doing these kind of deals is, what's he doing over the life of that contract? And what, well, you what never know. He's you, you can't answer. That's a question you can't answer. No, but that there are, I mean, teams rely on their modeling and their projection systems and that help inform that as opposed to sort of this, you know, limited information speculation that we can do versus, you know, they'll track his future based on comparisons just like him over time, as many as they can, and develop a little bit of a, 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 an educated guess as to what that looks like. And that's going to help inform the decision that they make. And you know, I agree with all the things that you said about him right now, but it's also, you know, again, if you do sign him, then you're cutting yourself off to some other things down the road. And so that's why this isn't, you know, you mentioned that it's a puzzle, but it's like, this isn't like one piece that you can fit in and it's in isolation and then all the other pieces. Oh no, this is it, like right? dominoes, right? This you, is a, you, this you isn't a puzzle and a bunch are going to fall down. This is a Rubik's right. cube, not a puzzle. Exactly. So very much that that that's why to me and and the other thing is that we've seen you know they this front office tends to bet on you know the safer plays in certain instances right we've seen them take a few chances in the draft which they should be doing um and they you know they took some risks with their bullpen this year with some high risk high reward signings that ended up blowing up in their face but again those are good risks and they're limited risks but hundred million dollar risk. I mean, I don't know that we've seen them do that yet. You know, the, I guess you can make a case that the riskiest deal that they've done to this point is Hyunjin Ryu 80 over four. Right. But at that point, they the almost needed to the, do that deal. They, they needed, needed to, to do, do that, that deal. But the other thing too, is that, you know, that, that contract dies out while they're still in a period of maximal financial flexibility. Yeah. 
at this point, like the, the financial flexibility that they've enjoyed in recent off season is disappearing. And that's why each decision now is more sure. critical because you're everything that you're putting in, it's like, you know, you're putting, you're putting in stones right now before, you know, you were just, it was just temporary things. These are immovable contracts that you're going to have to live with, which is why I think the Ray decision is an incredibly complex one for them. Well, you know, I, and again, we go round and round on this, but if, if I took you back um, eight months, nine months, maybe more than that, I forget when Springer signed. If I said to you that Blue Jays are going to sign George Springer to a five-year, $25 million, $150 million in total deal, and he's going to play, what does he play, 20 games in center field? And the rest of the time, he's either going to be injured or, or be DH out of necessity. You said, that's a stupid contract. Um, you know, you can project the future with a guy like Ray, but at some point, you got to look at the evidence that's in front of you and the needs that are in front of you mm -hmm. and say, who's better? Who's the guy we can go and get who can achieve anywhere close to what he's achieved at a price point that we can afford and that's why it's a puzzle mm -hmm. it's it, it's an inexact science at the end of the day i'm i'm going to guarantee you that shapiro has been on a uh, has has worn a trough in the path to the rogers corporate offices <laughs> trying to sh demonstrate to them that you got to throw a little bit more into this because if you mm. throw a little bit more into this or maybe a lot more into this, something really special could happen here. That part I don't disagree with. And I, I you know, I, again, I think that Mark Shapiro has been preparing this since the, you know, the teardown 17, 18, 19, right. He was setting the stage like this is going to come. Maybe it's coming a year earlier than they might've expected mm. or two years earlier than, than they might've expected. But this was, this isn't something that's just, happening you know by chance this is something that they've prepared for i, I think ultimately th these are all baseball questions at this point right it's not to me it's not about the money it's who, who do you spend it on right. and that that's the fun because i do think there, there are so many different ways you can piece this together uh and who are the guys that you put in who are the guys that you bet on ultimately uh and that you know like if and if you if you're putting your money on ray that's fine there's a great baseball case for that and you know if i'm suggesting you put your money on simeon you know there, there's a baseball case for that too. sure there and is these, and these are these are the baseball conversations um but you know th there are the other factors um and and whatever whatever no matter again i keep coming to this point but no matter what you're doing you're cutting yourself off to something else so what do you want to cut yourself off from and what do you feel that a you've got coming in your farm system b that's going to be available in the market or potentially available in the market in the next few years. Oh, at the right there, price, right? At the right price. Right. Yeah. But you know, like, you know, you found Ray, you found a Ray once and that's probably, you're, you're probably not finding that again. Right. And you know, and nobody right, talks too. about this, but they got really lucky with Matt's too. Sure. Right? They you're did. Paying, you're paying Matt's 5 million bucks. He's already above two, uh, two wins in value this year. Uh, you know, that return, uh, you know, is is spectacular and you're going to have to conjure up similar performance for similar finance next year you know like they've had a lot of things break their way this year uh beyond beyond the obvious ones and all of that is going to cost money next year well then they better get to the playoffs <laughs> <laughs> i mean definitely definitely on that well i think the front office would say uh would argue with you and say uh it's because we're smart not because we got lucky um and i i think the truth lies somewhere in between Look at I, you know, I kind of thought we'd we'd spend this time talking about the rotation, uh, the for the balance of the season and how you manipulate it for the postseason when you don't know what what you know. Are you playing one one play in game, two play in games, one wild card game? No, you know, but we'll get to that. We've still got time to do that and uh, down the road. This was a fascinating discussion, as it always is. We thank you as always for taking some time for us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Shy. Pleasure as always, guys. Take care. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. So our thanks to uh, Shai Davidi for uh, joining us uh, today, as always. We um, solved nothing, though. No, although, I don't know, did you, does your opinion change? on? Because um, at the very end of our conversation with Shai, 
the notion was raised of the Blue Jays signing neither of them. Yeah. And I would have thought, well, that would be a disaster. It would be a public relations disaster. Because not, a percep- not a disaster. Well, a it would have been because the perception would have been the perception would have been John that that Rogers is being cheap. Wow. But you can make the case, perhaps, that if you sign neither one of them, it does give you an opportunity to sign somebody else. Well, and and and, and well, and not only some, somebody else, but ensure that the. You know, those those cornerstone guys like Guerrero and Bichette are looked after properly as well. Well, right? sure. But, you know, maybe there's another Semyon out there for 18 million rather yeah. than signing Semyon for um, four years at uh, at 100 million. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I th- th- that makes sense. Uh, but it, but, you know, when this season started, both of these guys, Ray and Semyon, this was a gamble that both sides took. Hundred percent, both sides. I mean, you know, I'm going to take the eight million dollars, says Ray. I'm going to take the eighteen million dollars, says Simeon. I'm going to take it for one year, and I'm going to prove to people that I'm worth more. And Ray's got to prove to people he's worth more. And and by the way, it's it's paid off. It's for you know, both. For both, it, the, the 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 team is better. The players have proved themselves, and they're going to become very rich guys because of it. Easier to fall in love with the guy you have than than to fall in love with the guy you don't have. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that uh, because of the pandemic and the, and the three home parks that the, you know, the, in theory, if the money's close to being the same, we haven't had a chance to sell Ray and Simeon on what a great place Toronto is to live and play. No, well, they're they're getting a taste, but uh, probably not enough to, to assimilate what it's really all about. In any event, um, I think we should take the weekend off. I'm tired. I don't know about you. You're tired. I'm exhausted. You worked an hour a day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you make that sound like it's a short period somebody, of time. S- somebody asked me the other day, she said, how many times do you do the podcast? Said, we do one every day. You do a podcast every day? I said, well, we used to do more than that on radio. <laughs> we used to do 15 hours a week. <laughs> but, but it just went into the ether. Now it lives on the internet. Yeah, we're doing we're we're doing just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, time for us to go. Uh, we will uh, see you here whether you like it or not on Monday. Um, have a nice weekend, everybody. Um, cheerio.